episode number 205, 365 Driven Camaros. Welcome to the Camaro Show, a podcast about all things Camaro and GM performance news. I'm Chris Frezzo. And I'm Jason Debler. We're your hosts for this week's episode of the Camaro Show. Want to be part of our show? It's easy. Just leave a message on our voicemail hotline at 586-486-3182. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And welcome back for another exciting episode of the Camaro Show. I'm Chris. I'm Jason. And I'm Tony. That's right. (laughs) We have a special guest with us today, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have uh, with us, uh, joining us in in our our Skype session here, Tony Watley. Tony, can you give just just a brief little introduction about yourself? Let people know who you are. I guess the the most known thing is I am one of the co-founders of ls1tech.com, so I'm directly responsible for people (laughs) spending thousands of dollars and probably their entire paychecks for several years mm-hmm. to get their Camaros and Firebirds and Corvettes and Cadillacs and GTOs and whatever LS powered cars, all the pro touring cars out there. My fault. My fault. If you're broke because you modified an LS powered car, my fault. That was, and, and uh, I, I think you're really sorry about that too, aren't you, Tony? Yeah. It's, it's a pain point, but I, I just have to admit it. So I get it off of my chest, you know? <laughs> Well, well, Tony, thank you for joining us in this yep. episode. Uh, this is this is going to be a really cool episode, guys. We're we're gonna we're gonna go back in time. We're we're gonna we're gonna talk about the past, the present, and maybe we'll touch on the future a little bit. Let's 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 go back. Let's 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 talk about the old days. Oh, the good old <laughs> days. I miss the them. Pre-social media days. We'll call it that. How's See, that? we that's, we that's pre-social. We, That's a great way to do it. I think we were like the advent of the social media because, I mean, myself, I, I was doing like BBSs back in the 80s and in the early 90s before I got into, you know, the doing the websites with the with the forums and stuff like that. So I think we, we as a collective group here, you know, we're is kind of like the advent of, of social media from the forums. Um well, it even goes back further than that. It started out in chat rooms. Remember those things? Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the forums came after. That's right. We had a chat room. <sighs> the, an IRC channel. An IRC and... chat room. <laughs> where you had to download a client, install it, configure it, and then find the right room and all that. Finding uh, the right IRC server and getting kicked and all that. Oh my yeah, God. it was it was complicated to get into those things, and sometimes you're sitting there waiting, and your modem's going, <laughs> you're like waiting to log into your chat room, yep. so you could talk about cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's Jason. That's how you found me. I found you by getting on AOL, <laughs> um, and uh, the second thing I searched for. We won't talk about the first thing I searched for. The second thing I searched for was Camaro. And amongst the results was Chris Frez's Camaro Z28 homepage. And I was in Flint, Michigan at the time. Uh, and you were living in St. Clair Shores. And yep. I'm like, hey, this guy's, imagine that. This guy's on the internet and I'm on the internet. And we're like within an hour of each other. <laughs> I think we just became best friends and mm-hmm. he doesn't even know it yet. Well, we kind of did because then we ran into each other at the very first Michigan event. And, and, the and list, I from said, the hey, you're that guy with that web page. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious, man. That's, that's then, good stuff. Yeah. Yep. It was, a, it was at the Milan Dragway. And then uh, we just started talking and I wanted to learn how to build a website. And I did. And he already had one. And then we said, Let, let's put them together. Smash them together. And 
So what year did Camaro's E28 start? So, like, technically, I, I put together my site in 93. Um, in 96, I actually registered the domain in 97. So it was Christmas Eve, 1997. I put up the very first UBB uh, message board um, for for automotives. It was the first threaded all the if you remember the, the, before that if you went mm, to a forum yep. all the messages were all in a row so UBB. Single, I forgot about that man you're bringing me way back <laughs> I I started on forums in 96 on the corral you know I was a Mustang oh, guy yeah. at that point oh, yeah. and it was exactly the same way like you're saying it was like that threaded thing and you just had to scroll and scroll and scroll to find the topics that you wanted to talk about and mm-hmm. you know isn't isn't reddit still sort of like that i haven't been on kind of yeah kind of now yeah, that you I, think I, now that you mention it it yeah. is yeah so then um oh, it was, hold on what let's not forget if somebody had an actual digital picture of their car that means they drop like 400 to 500 dollars on a flatbed scanner that was it there was no digital digital cameras then yeah, the digital cameras, especially the ones that came out, like the Sonys, where you'd stick the 3.5 floppy in the side of those. Oh those didn't come out until like 2000, mm-hmm. like 2000. You know, that's when they became like consumers. Yeah. Other than that, we had those cheapy ones that had a really terrible resolution. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my God, they were terrible. Like, like you'd put it on your computer screen, and, the, and literally the photo was like an inch and a half like wide. <laughs> and you try to blow <laughs> and it up. That, and, and that get... was at those resolutions then. Yeah. <laughs> Even now. Yeah. So, but it, it was, it was a good, it was, it was good times because it, it was, like you said, it, like we said, it was, it wasn't easy to access. And once you did, it was like a little victory and then you could connect meaningfully to the other people online. That's when we yeah. blew up. That's when, yeah. when we installed the form, we blew up. And then we had a guy named Chris Hutchinson contact us and he's like, Hey, I'm starting this website called ls1.com. Can you tell me how to install this UBB form stuff? So showed them how to do it and they put up a form and then uh, tell me the story tony because i want to say something happened on ls1.com that spawned you guys yeah that's a good that's a good segue into where ls1 tech started and uh, for those that don't understand like we built that site up and we sold it for multiple seven figures later it became the basis of the book we'll talk about later that i wrote and it was all started because the guy pissed us off (laughs) It was you know, Bradley, it was, right? It was, it was, it was Bradley. It yeah. wasn't Hutch. Well, Hutch was, so Hutch so was basically, cool. there was a group of us that were very active on ls1.com, and we were the ones creating all the content, doing all the how-to articles, the racing articles, yep. trying to find free mods, just doing whatever we could to make these cars faster. And this guy was owning ls1.com. He wasn't paying his bills, so the server would get shut down, and the host would just delete everything. And, and it happened twice, and we're like, oh, whatever. You know, this sucks, but we'll start over again. Third time it happened, we're like, we finally went, like a group of us went to them, you know, in the online and we're like, hey man, we see that you got like 20 advertisers. We know that servers don't cost that much. Why aren't you paying your bills to keep this going on? Because we're creating all this content for mm-hmm. you. We'd like to, you know, to be a, you to be a better steward of our information and maintain that and respect the time we're putting in. You know what he told us? He's like, if you guys think you could do a better job, start your own website. All right. And I had no clue about starting a, a website or a forum, but you know what? When you tell someone like me yeah. that's supporting <laughs> you, that we had no intentions of leaving. We just wanted to help him out and like get him back on this on his right track. And and there's this guy throwing his attitude. So a few of us were like, hey, let's let's figure this out. We can do this. Yeah. I, I remember getting multiple emails from that guy 
um, during the day, hey, Chris, I really need your help. My site's down again. Can you log in and take a look here? So being the nice guy, I might go in and I'd fix LS1.com all the time. <laughs> in the meantime, I'm hearing people are like, Chris, don't work, don't, don't work with this guy anymore. He's, he's lying in his pockets and he's not, he's not doing anything for the community. And I'm like, oh man. So I think he eventually sold it. Yeah, I have no idea. He, I think he may have sold it at some point, but yeah, he he definitely wasn't maintaining it. And then, but I, you know, I, I'm thankful for his bad attitude because that's what started my company. That's all you need. That's all yeah. you need though to kick you in the butt, right? Yeah, better, faster, cheaper. I, I really, you know, there's a lot of people out there starting companies. They think that they need to be very creative and they need to be an inventor and they need to come up with something new. That's not true. About 95% of companies that exist today are basically a better version of what was already existing. So we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just making it better. So we looked at the market and we're saying, you know, we wanted to be on the technical side. So that's why we called it LS1 Tech Mm -hmm. to focus on the technical and the racing side and the racers. And then we just went with it. And, you know, when John and I started that site, we had very low goals. That's the interesting part. I mean, it grew up in, you know, to a multi-million dollar company. But when we started it, he and I both had brand new LS1F bodies. And, you know, I had a formula and he had a, he had a, a, an SS, Camaro SS, you know, 98s. And both of us were had our payments back then were like $500 a month for these cars. And we said, man, it would be cool if this website could just pay for our car note and maybe do some drag racing on the weekend. It'd be like a free hobby. Like we were so like small thinking at that point. <laughs> you know, we both had full-time jobs. It was like a fun yeah. thing. We never... We never built it for the money. It just grew to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we had 10 sponsors within the first month. So we already blew past our $500 a month each, like, profit. And we're like, wow, this is pretty cool. But, you know, here's the why that site became so popular is because John and I treated it like a business. We never treated it like a hobby. We did everything very organized. We had systems. We had processes. We had payment, you know, milestones. Did all the accounting. We always reported all the money we made because we knew that we wanted to be honest with that and not get audited. And we just ran it like a company, but we always put the users first. That was the main thing. Whenever we started to see the servers start to slow down, we got ahead of that. We didn't wait for it to really crawl before we upgraded servers. So we always made sure that our software, all of our securities, all of our backups were done so nobody would lose the information like we had done on LS1. Amen. And just really, just and, and these people are getting it for free, but we're treating them like customers because they were the customers. They were the end users. And then the other customers were the advertisers. So we had two different sets of customers equally valuable because you can't have one without the other. And we knew that if we were able to scale this size to that site to as big as it could be, we would attract more advertising revenue. It's a simple reciprocity you know, mm-hmm. arrangement. Wow, man. So let's let's fast forward. So how many how many years did you own LS1 deck? We started that in November of 2001. That's when it officially went online and then we sold it around the same time in 2007. So 6 years. Seven. Okay. And part of that earnout period was to hang around for two more years for the transition. So we sure. both exited in 2009. 2009. Okay. Are are you still part of it? Do you still admin? Are you still do you still go on the site? Not, not really. I mean, John and I both have like these honorary admin roles, which we asked, we actually asked for no access to the admin side of things. We just have different color name and it says co-founder under our name Oh, cool! because that's just kind of a legacy thing that they wanted to give us, but we didn't want to have anything to do with the business of, of the site going forward because we knew that, you know, the company that bought us, if anything were to go wrong, they're always going to come back and, and have some kind of blame on you. So I was like, oh, we don't want any part of that. We'll, we'll participate 
as as spectators and kind of hang out and you know hang out with stuff. But honestly, I don't go there unless I'm shopping for a specific car or car part nowadays. And you know, it's just it's just not the same as it used to be for me. But the valuable here's the thing that I like about it though. I mean, it's still around. When we sold it, there was about 160,000 members. And today it's over 300,000 members. So it's continued to grow. Wow. And they've never, they've never gotten rid of any of the old posts. So all the archives, all the way going back to November of 2001 are still there. See, that's the good thing about forums is the archive purposes for it. You know, I, I've been talking with a lot of people, you know, I say, Hey Chris, would you ever think about starting another forum? No, no. You know why? Nope. Because everybody's going to Facebook. That's why forums serve their purpose and they did. And they're a great source of archival, uh, just kind of like keeping the records, something you can search on. Um, uh, what's your thought on that tone? Did you, what do you think about forums? I, I think that the social media, you know, Facebook didn't really, didn't start getting traction around 2008, 2009. So that's when all the social aspect of the forums disappeared mm-hmm. and it kind of left about half the traffic to, because, because to be honest, I mean, you and I both know we used to look at the analytics for all the different forums within our forum, and we could see that there was a lot of traffic on the social forums and a lot of traffic in the technical forums, about half and half, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when half of your traffic leaves because there's no social atmosphere, exactly. you start to lose a sense of community. The community is all hanging out on Facebook, like, you know, telling jokes and posting photos of their car and stuff. But like you said, it's never going to be able to maintain that archive. You can never go on Facebook and search for the, these, know, these, these technical know. things. But you know what? Maybe that's the, the thing that's missing. Maybe somebody needs to create forum software that actually allows Facebook accounts to log into. Yeah. Now that's a good hmm. idea. That's that's definitely a good idea. Yeah. Remember that, Jason? We, you you would get so mad. You're like, damn it. Most of our traffic's going to the freaking lounge and the, and the regional <laughs> forum. It's like, how come people are yep. not going into the technical spots? And that was kind you know, of... We disliked it so much, we created that spinoff site. I don't remember if you remember. It's oh, called Seat Stays, stays Up. up. <laughs> yeah. We basically did not want any of that dumbassery on our website because <laughs> we were so focused on technical and maintaining a professional appearance that... We purposely made the spinoff site Seat Stays Up, which for those listening, it means like keep the toilet seat up because yeah. we knew it was generally men. Yeah. And honestly, it did pretty well. Like a lot, of, we probably got 80% of the traffic converted over there and it kind of got it away from LS1 Tech. And that was fine because we knew that the advertisers did not care about that traffic. Yeah. yeah, it was, there's no need for it unless you're selling something non car related. Yeah. yeah. Wow. God, it's so. It's so fun to go back and just think of where it's been and where where it is now, and then now let's 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 fast forward. We 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 got rid of CamaroZ28.com. What year was it? Does that not soon enough? Um, <laughs> that was one two thousand eleven. Eleven? I think it was, was two thousand eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that, was a, that was a long run. Yeah. 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 And and <laughs> and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't miss it. I'll, I'll say that much right now. Here, here's, I do not miss the, here's what I don't at the 3 in the miss. morning. Yes, my, 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 my phone going off at 3 in the morning saying the server's down or, you know, PHP isn't running or my SQL's not running or something like that. Or That's what I don't somebody miss. Somebody spamming porn on the site. Oh, my yep. God. Uh, or somebody's threatening to kill each other and posting each other's addresses. and. Yeah, we, we, I hate to say that. It's, it's the Camaro show. But when we started LS1 Tech, it was generally brand new cars because it was a brand new platform, yeah. 98, 2002. A lot of the people that could hang out on that site had to be able to afford a $25,000, $30,000 car. 
and that was a lot of money at that time. It was a, it was a you know mid tier priced car, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it attracted a professional type of you know people to hanging out there. That people actually had money to race and do things and modify their car. And nowadays we're on like tenth owner type fourth gens, and yeah, you get a different demographic. And I love those guys to death, but it's not the yeah. same crowd that it was when we started the website. Oh, it's definitely it's not. true. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have guys threatening to kill each other and like you know burning each other's house down and stuff like <laughs> like like young guys would do, you know, like guys in their teenagers years would do. Yep. I just got my first Camaro and it's the most awesome car in the world. No, it's not. I'll kill you. Yeah. I'll yeah. find you and I'll kill you. Yeah. So oh I don't miss that. Then again, you get that on Facebook too. Yeah. But Alice One Tech was really did uh, serve as a model um, for how to do things right, and um, I think it's really neat that that each there's a lot of spinoffs beyond you guys. There was remember there was LS One Fun and oh my god there was LS this that and the other thing and 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 they they tried to replicate the formula, but Tony, I just don't think that they looked at the way things the things the way that you guys did. Yeah. You guys made it look easy. And they probably thought it was easy, and they didn't have to put what you put into it, that, that very structured, very carefully constructed balance that, that you guys put into it. And that's I agree. That's what made you guys a, a very, very strong success. Yeah, yeah, John and I put in a lot of work behind the closed doors that nobody ever saw just to get that start that site started and building on the advertiser list. Because when we sold that website, we had over 150 advertisers. You know, and they were paying on average about 300, 350 a month each. So we were making some serious bank as a, as a side hustle. But the thing is, is that didn't just come by accident because the way we started out is John and I would just look at these magazines like GM High Tech and Hot Rod and we would cold call like ads. We would sit there, we would divide and conquer. We're like, hey, you call these 10, I'll call these 10. And he would call and I would call. We'd pitch to get him on the site to give him some kind of intro rate to, to try it out. And then we went to almost every SEMA convention and every race that was involved in the scene. So I made it a point to go to Las Vegas every single year to make sure that the vendors knew who I was so I can build a relationship on a personal level with them. And even today, you know, I don't even have the website. I have my wheel business, but I still go to SEMA and I still know all those people. And it's cool because a lot of them were like sales guys or marketing guys. And now they're presidents and VPs of some different companies. So it's kind of cool to see that progression. Proud of those guys. But a lot of small companies out there, there's a lot of shops and a lot of manufacturers out there that have become seven, eight, and nine-figure companies because they started on a site that I created. And that's crazy to think about. Isn't I it? can think of one right now. That's cool. UMI. UMI, Texas Speed. I mean, all these guys, oh, yeah. yeah, they were all basically started you know, as garage shops on my mm-hmm. site. And now, you, now UMI owns their own racetrack, for crying out loud. <laughs> my Good God. Stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can remember all the... The big names that are no longer around anymore. Um, remember T-Burn Motorsports? Thunder Racing. Yep. Thunder Racing. Yep. Agostino. Agostino. Oh, yeah. yeah Agostino. Yeah. How about Car- Sun- is, is CarTech still around? Oh, I forgot about CarTech. Is, Sun is Suncoast Hood still around, too? <laughs> I think they might be. I are think they? they might be. Yeah. But yeah, well. see... But there's a lot of shops that are still around, man. It's incredible. But you know what? They they were run by businessmen. That's the difference. There's too many people out there in the automotive industry, especially you know good mechanics that think that they can own a shop just because they're a good mechanic. But mm-hmm. here's the thing is when you start a business, and that's what I help people do now is how to create business and scale those and hopefully sell those, you got to have the skills. You got to have the business skills to accompany whatever technical skills you have. And most people don't invest in the marketing, the salesmanship, the communication, the customer service. I mean, these are a lot of things to learn. And if you don't have those skills, you're not going to do good in business. I'm sorry. 
So if you're really good at turning wrenches and really good at tuning a car and making it run and you suck at business, you should you like just hire somebody to do the business side for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Partner, partner up with somebody that can fulfill all those, those gaps you got or invest in yourself, man. I, I prefer that you invest in yourself, do some studying, read some books, get a coach, find some mentors, because that kind of information is valuable, man. Like you don't want to have partners your entire life. No, no. And you certainly don't want to give them, if, if you're not tight with them, you don't want to give them the control to where they say, you know what, I've been doing this for you for so long and now I'm going to go off and do it on my own. And that leaves you in the dust. And you're like, I can't live, I can't survive without you as my partner. Right. So don't, uh, I, I don't know how to, how to word it. Don't put yourself in a, in a position where you value the, your partner more than you value yourself. Yeah. yeah, you really are in a marriage whenever you're in a business partnership. I mean, little, literally a marriage because when there's a contract and all these agreements, it's just like being married and you got equal decisions. And sometimes your goals, here's the thing most people don't realize is like, what if your business does become successful? You never know where your perspectives, your goals are going to change over the course of the years. I mean, things can happen like you may have children or you get married or these all these different life changing events where you want to change directions or pivot or you may have people like me that just want to go reinvent themselves and do different things. You can't guarantee that when you start a company. You never know if your partner is going to be on that same wavelength or the same goals forever. So there's always this unknown. And I'm not a big fan on having partners unless we have like a finite goal that we're trying to achieve by a certain period of time that we can both reassess where we're at and go, hey, do we want to walk away from this or do we going to keep pushing it at this point? So think about that before you jump in. Don't jump in with businesses with partners that are just buddies because you guys like each other. Like there needs to be something that you're both bringing to the table to, to double the size of your pie. A lot of people like to cut their pie in half, but what you really want is two pies. Like everybody's bringing a pie to the table. Hmm. That's a great way to look at it. That's a good analogy. Yeah. I I think that leads into what, uh, what we really need to talk about at this point is Tony, you learned a lot from LS1 tech and you've also done a lot of side hustles like you said, to reinvent yourself, to see where it would go, but you always had a goal in mind, I'm sure. That led to this really monumental situation that you've got yourself in, this this mentoring, this coaching, and this number one Amazon bestseller. It, it's, it was really neat to see that evolve. A lot of people may not know about that to listen to this show. Tell the backstory behind that and where you know what you know what you offer. So after selling LS1 Tech back in 2007, I had I had some cash and I you know was ra- relaxed and I kind of got complacent things because I had a good corporate career at the same time. But for hobbies, I was always helping people start their companies. So I helped other people you know start their companies, scale those companies. Started to see a really good result on those. Built a seven, a couple seven and eight figure companies for other friends. Built another seven figure company for myself. I started to see a knack for this. It's just a a system. It's a process. It's a mindset, really. It always starts with mindset. And these people were going, hey, man, you should be doing this full time. But I'm like, man, I got these companies I already own. I've got this full time career. It's like, I just don't have time for that stuff. You know, I just kind of it wasn't a priority to to go and do that full time. But me being in the oil and gas industry, like we we were talking about before the show with the automotive industry, trying to do the, the layoffs and the downturns. Well, oil and the gas, we see that about every five to seven years. And after three of those downturns in my career, I kind of got tired of my career and my livelihood being somebody else's decision. That's what it comes down to. 
You know, someone else says, Hey, you know, we got to get you go. Cause it's their decision. It's not mine. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that anymore. I said, you know, I'm starting to get into a point where I'm middle management. I'm highly paid. And when I get laid off, there's fewer jobs to go pick from now. So sometimes I'm unemployed for six, seven months before I find the next job and it's just miserable. And, you know, and, and I see Jason, he's not as he's, you know, cause he's kind of gone through that as recent too. And I have, you know, it, it's, as we get older, you start to think about like, it's not the same when you get laid off in your 20s. It's not the same when you're la- laid off in your 30s because then you can go find a job pretty quick at that price point. So understand that it gets harder the older you get. And I said, you know what? I, what is my real passion? I have two real passions, guys. My my real passions are cars, obviously, <laughs> and business. I can talk about cars and business all day long and have this, this huge amount of energy behind those because they're the, like I see business as a game. Like you set rules, which are called laws and regulations and taxes <laughs> – and you try to get the best business you can out of it, you know, to grow this, like, like, what is the big prize at the end? Where am I going with it? Like, it's a game. It's like, I enjoy it. Like, like it's no different to me than firing up a video game and building businesses. So I said, you know, I need to establish more authority in this niche because people at that point, you know, really in June of 2017, when I was, when, when I went more public about, you know, guys, I'm not going to be this one dimensional car guy that you all know. Everybody knows me, nine ball. I'm the car guy that has businesses and has some cool cars, like cool. But that's very one dimensional. I said, there's a lot more to me than just the cars I own. So I said, I'm going to start talking about business. I'm going to start you know, talking about my perspective on things. And that did not come without naysayers or haters or critics. Those people definitely were around, especially car communities. Some of these people, you know, were like, hey, just shut up. And like, you know, you should just keep posting pictures of your car <laughs> and just, and you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, that's not who I am, man. That's like, you're just seeing the results of what I really do. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to write a book that's been in my head about how to start companies. And I wrote the side hustle millionaire, you know, and Jason's been in the group and you're in the group. He's been Mm -hmm. seeing before I even started writing the book, Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to write a book. And then everybody's like, Oh, cool. And I said, what would you like to learn? And they're like, Hey, you always start businesses. I want to learn that. And I said, okay, cool. I'm going to write a book on how to start businesses and, and get those operational and they said, and I said, okay, what questions would you like answered in this book to make it a great book? And then they gave me all these questions. I said, I, I have all these answers. It's like, I knew that if I could answer all these questions that people kept asking, put it in a book that was already validated by the consumers that this is what they wanted. So I just wrote the book that people wanted to have. I wrote the book that I wish I would have had back when I started LS1 Tech to kind of shortcut the mindset, the, the fluff and all these things. So Basically, I was marketing this book for a period of about six months while I was writing it, which took me four months and at a launch week and basically hit number one on Amazon in nine hours. Uh, congratulations. That must have been a, a, one hell of a feeling just seeing that grow quickly. You know? Yeah. And when it starts passing big name authors that are, you know, it made it all the way up to number 11 in all of self-improvement books on Amazon. There's millions of those books, by the way. It made it to number 11. I was I was really hoping for that top 10 placement <laughs> in self-help so I could get the screenshot. But it made the number 11 out of all the self-help books on Amazon. When you think about that, like self-improvement That's books. Huge. And, you know, it's passing up books like Tony Robbins and all these big name books. I'm like, holy crap, passed up President Trump's book. You know, I left him. I walked him bustling with him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, do you have a do you have a follow up book planned? I do, and I've actually been writing it in plain view on my Instagram page. It's called Three Sixty Five Driven. I haven't set the title, but you know the Hard Truth series. If you follow me on Instagram at Three Sixty Five Driven, every single day I post like a miniature blog, 
and I knew it's numerically ordered. So I'm going to write 365 of those, obviously, to align with the brand name. And then I'm going to put those into a book format and publish that. So I'll have 365 pages of different thought every single day. So, yeah, I'm already like on 305 at the time of this recording. So it's almost done. But I've been writing my next book in the public eye the entire time. Wow. Look so at maybe that. Maybe crack the top 10. I think it will. I think it will. Wow. Wow. Oh, cool. <laughs> So that's Man. that's that's the backstory, the backstory up until now, and then in addition to the book, you also provide uh, custom uh, mentoring, one-on-one services. Am I saying that the right way? Correct. Yeah, I call myself a business mentor because there's what most people need to understand is a difference between coaches and mentors. You hear about business coaches, business mentors, business coaches tend to be people who are highly trained in some kind of a process just to ask deep, intriguing questions to arrive at the answer within you. They just ask a lot of how, who, what, why type questions to try to get the answer for you to you to come up with your own answer. They don't really have to have the experience of owning any companies or starting any businesses. They just know these general business practices. Where a business mentor is actually someone who has achieved something that you would like to achieve. And they're giving you critical feedback and they're opening up their network and they're telling people like, don't do that. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Like, let's stay on this track. And they're giving you actual experience. And to me, that's more valuable. It's just that's how you distinguish between the two. So if you're listening to this and you're looking for a business coach or a business mentor, there's pros and cons to both of those. But understand the ones you really need to understand is what do you need at this point? I've used both. I I think there's a a need for different ones at different phases of your business. But I'll tell you that it's been very enjoyable. And and one of the things I have come to realize, I've been doing it about a year straight now. I I would say that I'm more of a confidence coach, Jason and Chris. I think it's it's, as funny as that sounds is the business owners I work with, a lot of times I'm just giving them more confidence. That's great because you have a a group on Facebook and I I find your videos – just that it gives someone who watches them a little bit more confidence. Someone recently posted something. Um, and, and I can say his name because he's a friend of ours too. Adam, he said, he, uh, he, uh, he made a post that said he, he feels awkward tooting his own horn in, in, in a roundabout way. And, and what did you say, Tony, what did you tell him? I said, Adam, if you're not willing to promote yourself for a good reason, then no, you can't expect anyone else to do it. Exactly. I mean, it's not, it's not bragging. It's, it's being pride, it's being prideful of what you've accomplished. And I said, man, you have a lot of experience and you have a lot of knowledge to share. And if you don't put yourself out there, I can't remember, was it you that responded like, you know, being obscure is like worse. It's, you know, and that's how I can even talk about a book. It's, you can write the very best book in the world, but if nobody knows about it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't matter. So you got to get that information out there. If it's something you accomplished and you know, it's going to help people share it. Don't, don't worry about that. And that's actually a a topic that I would talk about now with the mindset stuff is there's so many people who get the opportunity to stand in that spotlight or on that stage at some point in their lives. And they, they hide and they cower from that because they're afraid of shining their light so brightly that they're going to diminish the other people. They want to make sure that they don't make other people feel less than them. So they reserve themselves back. And let's put that in a car analogy. That's like going half throttled down the track <laughs> and letting your friend in the next lane win because you don't want to hurt his feelings. And as racers, like, do we do that? Hell no. You just, you just bury your friend and throw the hazards on at the end. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, that's, that's it's, and it's not like, it's not like, you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to win this race because I, I don't really want him to, you know, not feel bad about his car. He spent all this money on his car. And like, no, like I showed up to race. 
So don't just think of that analogy. Anytime you start feeling yourself like holding back because of other people, I'm not saying to go out there and be a jerk, like, but, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's just like you have, it's your duty to shine with your brightest light and do the things that you need to do to attract the lifestyle and the life that you want. You're going to have this energy that you put out that's going to attract your, your genuine audience and the people that want to listen to you. And you need to shine that light for them. And when you start to reserve yourself and, and hide from the spotlight and, and take the second, you know, second stage you know, row and all these things are going to hold your back and throttling back, that's not going to ever serve you. It's just not, it's not why you're here. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent agree. hundred percent. Yeah. Like that one time that I raced Chris Frezza and I was blowing him away <laughs> until I saw the cop and then I pulled over and he took off. That's right, Chris. Yeah, that's, I mean, I took the heat for you. <laughs> I should have kept blowing you away. Put the hazards on. Let you get busted. Actually happened to me one time. We were doing that in, in Houston. We we're street racing a long time ago, and I was the one that pulled over, and the other guy pulled over in front of us, and like the other car that we were, that were racing, and the cop pulled up behind us, and was like, "Oh crap, here we go!" And then the other guy took off, and then it, then the cop was like, "What?" And he jumped back in his car, went after the other one. We're like, and "You're like latest," <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's not, I didn't even speed away. He he, she jumped behind you, and you pulled over, and, and I just casually drove away. Oh, no, no. She was coming towards us. And I looked down at my speedometer and I knew how fast I was going. I was doing jail time. <laughs> so that I was. And I'm like, there's, there's, there's no way I'm going to just slow down and go, no, no, no. I wasn't doing anything. I was just stone cold busted. So I pulled over. I did not get a ticket. I was doing twice the legal speed limit and I did not go to jail. My car, my 2010 Camaro that I had for, I think I had it at two weeks by yeah, then. Yeah. I just got it. And uh, I think I got a failure to yield ticket because my I was straightforward and honest and told the truth. And but anyway, now now Tony, are you a Camaro guy? And by just generally speaking, are you a Camaro guy? That is all I am. Yes. So despite <clears throat> everything else in your garage, everything else. Yes. Yeah. You, you, my, you are. You're awesome. My very first car was a 1969 Camaro that I built with my dad. I bought it from working at McDonald's for 1400 bucks, and I restored it for a full year, and I drove it all the way through high school. So I've always been a Camaro. My, even my sister, her first car was a 76 Camaro LT with a little, you know, I think it was probably a crappy 305 V8 at that time, metal bumper car. Yeah. And my mom had a 1979 yellow Z28 back when we were kids. Wow. My very first car that I rode in from the hospital when I was born was a 72Z28. My dad had a brown 72Z28 with white stripes, and he actually was in the Marines at the time. And he actually had that car shipped over to Japan, so they had it in Japan. And that's where I was born, on a Marine base. So I rode home in a Camaro. Wow. So no matter what cars I'll ever have, I'm always going to consider myself a Camaro guy. And I, even have, I still have a 69 Camaro in the shop, and I still have a 2017 SS in the shop as well. So... Tell us, tell us about your your uh, your orange Camaro. Because the that orange is, Camaro. That is, that, is, that is a beautiful car. Yeah, it's it nick, nicknamed the Rainmaker because the first five events I took it to, it just caused it to rain. <laughs> and here you got this bright hugger orange 1969 Camaro SS convertible. You know, it's daylight. It's, shape, it's color of the sunshine. And it causes everything to rain when it shows up. So it kind of, it kind of got this nickname from my friends, like there's a rainmaker and I stuck with it. So if you guys go on Instagram and you do a hashtag rainmaker Camaro, you'll find all the photos of it. Oh, there so. you go. Now, now that was on the cover of a magazine last year, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I was on the cover, I think, July of 2018 of Super Chevy magazine. And that was a pretty cool surprise. You know, we I hired a photographer to come do some uh, light painting shots. It was all done in pitch black, basically. He was lighting things with, you know, on a, on a long exposure on a camera. And, you know, it came out really cool and they loved it because that was the first, I think it was the first light painted car that Super Chevy had ever featured. And when I was telling them, you know, Steve Rupp, we know Steve, oh, I was yeah. telling him about yeah. the, and, and he was like, I don't know if that's going to work, man. I, you know, it's kind of, those are kind of dark. And when he saw the shots and I was like, you got to see this guy's work. Like this guy makes awesome shot, you know, Larry Chavaria. And he did it and, and they, they were like just blown away. Like, oh my God, these are awesome shots. So yeah, light painting, it looks really cool on muscle cars because it's got all these, you know, these body lines and these creases in the fenders that you can create shadows with and things like that. Nice. I've seen it done before. It does turn out really nicely. That's oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so every shot you see that's done by someone like that, it's usually a composite of about six different shots kind of merged together to make that shot. Wow. So let's let's talk about the the present day. Let's let's talk about let's talk about the the sixth generation Camaro. Now you say you have a, a seventeen SS, mm-hmm. correct? How did you feel when the the refresh came out? The current one with the the new face. Yes. Yep. I uh, thought somebody should have, you know, gotten fired. <laughs> Honestly, that was a that was a terrible refresh, and the way they stuck the bow tie in the middle of the bumper, and it was like, who approved this? So I, that was my that was actually a complaint I always had. Even in a Gen Five, I had three Gen Fives. I had an SS hardtop, and then I had a convertible SS, and then we did a one LE later. So I had three Gen Fives. We got the Gen Six. Gen Six is a, just a much better car. Let's let's yeah. be honest. The interior, yeah, true, it just it handles better. It's just a higher quality car than the Gen Five. As much as I love the Gen Five, the Gen Six is just a much better car. But what I'll tell you is, like, whenever that new refresh that just came out, like what a few months back, yeah, and I saw the front end of the SS, I was like, what the hell is that? I was like, I get that they, you know, Bumblebee and all that in the movie, but you know, honestly, the the one in the movie was better because it didn't have the bow tie in the middle of the bumper. <laughs> You know, no. it's like, is that like a trailer hitch socket that shaped like a bow tie in the middle of the bumper? It's like, that is just awful. Like, who who signed off on that design, the final design? And, you know, and, and you started to see them, they, you know, at SEMA this past year, they started painting that black section of the bumper mm-hmm. and they moved the bow tie back up. Yep. So they, they heard. They definitely heard. And another thing that irritated me about the Gen 5 is they never came out with an actual hugger orange for an entire generation. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave us... This uh, IOM, like tomato soup metallic orange that when you park it next to a hugger orange, it looks like it's red. And I was like, you know, that's terrible. Like, you know, it's a Camaro. Like, there should always be a one hugger orange at least every generation. Like, that's the iconic color from 1969. Yeah. And you got to like, you know, we did it in 99. There was even an LT1 car that was that, right? So what about, uh, what about the stripes. What about the crush color that they came out with? Do you, do you like that color? I love it. It's the exact same hue if you see it next to a 99 SS. I actually had a, a 99 Hugger Orange SS as well in the past. And actually, uh, the Cars and Coffee that just happened over here in the in Houston last weekend, there was my friend has a, a ZL1 1LE in that that, that crush orange. Oh, man. Part, you know, it's parked next to a 99 Hugger Orange, and they were the exact same color. Just, I knew that after seeing it in SEMA. It was, it's a non-metallic orange. And it's kind of got that exact same shade. So they did a really good job for that. I don't know why they didn't just call it Hugger, though. I mean, why can't they give us a throwback, you know? I don't know. And, and the only thing I can think of is maybe they don't own that name anymore. You know, <laughs> GM GM did lose some things in bankruptcy and stuff like that. So uh, they may not own that trademark anymore or something. Because um, I know when they introduced the Crush, uh, 
color. Um, you weren't allowed to call it crush orange or wait, 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 or orange crush, orange crush because of, yeah. the, because of the pop. soda pop. Yeah. Yeah. They so, just call it crush. Yeah. So they, they just call it, it crush. Yeah. So, so that, that, that friend of yours wouldn't happen to be Mike Lee, would it? Oh yeah. Mike. <laughs> yeah. Another Houston guy. So, you know, you guys know Mike pretty well. Oh Mike. yeah. Yeah. Good. Great guy. When he got his latest and greatest, he stopped through Nashville. I had dinner with him and his wife and just pretty much complained about how I wish I had his car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's my dilemma now because I still want another Camaro, and it would have to be a ZL1 because they didn't mess the nose up on it. <laughs> and I, as much as I love the ZL1 only, and as much as I love going around the track, I have a Dodge Viper for that stuff. And I really had to realize myself, even with the Viper, I, it spends 99% of its time on the road. So I'm, I'm thinking like, man, my, I, I think I should rather have the ZL1, like the regular ZL1, than the 1LE because I just don't – I don't think I need that bouncy suspension and the aero just to drive around. It looks cool, but mm-hmm. it's not as practical as a daily driver. And I, and I know that even a ZL1 is a beast around the track, man. Let's not be, you know, let's not lie about that. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, that that car is it, it's an animal. It's an absolute animal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so okay. So your your thoughts on the new Camaro front end refresh that they're obviously pulling back a little bit. I think, Seems to I be think on par with most people. Well, I uh, think most people didn't like it. They're in the process of fixing that. They've, they've, they are. they've heard that. So, so th- that's something that can probably be remembered when it comes to, and I'm going to try to draw, draw a parallel here, is in business. Okay, You might, you might kind of go off the path a little bit, but that doesn't mean that you can't just correct and get back on and continue to look ahead instead of looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I think they may have learned that lesson from Team Corvette on the overheating issue. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because I'll <laughs> tell you, I have I had an insider that was working in the GM group, and he was the one that was testing those cars on their tracks. And you know, he was part of the C6Z and, and Z06 and ZR1 development team. He started doing the Stingray platform and got into the Z06 testing. And they were running into these overheating issues before that car was even released. And he told me, Tony, don't ever buy one of these. And he doesn't work there anymore. But he's like, don't ever buy one of these because they're half-assing it. He goes, we literally have a shoestring budget because of the bailout era. We're not able to develop the Corvette that we want because they cut our budget in half. So actually the C6 had a higher budget of development than the C7 from what I understand. And it starts to show. I mean, they put all the C7 development into the interior, obviously. That's where the it looks a lot better than the C6. Mm-hmm. But all the performance metrics were like the same. I mean, you didn't improve much at all. And so whenever we knew this, and, and I started sharing this on Corvette Forum, that, you know, like these overheating things. And I even like rented a dyno and tested things and did like all these uh, temperature tests. And, you know, and and people were like, well, you know, you're just you're just doing that because you have a Dodge Viper. You're you're just hating on our cars. Like they were very <laughs> defensive of it, and they got very defensive of it. And then, you know, the first C7Z showed up in Houston, and it happened to be a friend of mine that actually owned a Viper as well. And we're like, hey, let's go run these to see how they line up against you know Gen 5 Viper and the brand new Z06 because everybody was telling everybody how the Z06 was just going to hurt all these feelings and it was just going to be fast <laughs> as hell. And we ran. And this video like blew up the internet. It has like something like 500,000 views on it now. But that was the very first race between a Viper and a C6 or C7Z. And the, he never won a race. I think there was nine races from every starting speed, even one from a dead stop on the tollway. We went from a dead stop and honked it off and go. And, and the Viper just drug its ass every single time. <laughs> wow. And 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 we noticed that as he as we started racing more, that car would just get slower. It was, just, it was really bad at heat uh-huh. soak. 
And so we started reporting this and everybody's like, oh, you guys are just lying. You're just trying to make the Viper look good. And it's like, dude, have you seen like my garage? It's like 90% GM. I created a GM website. I'm still friends with all these people at GM. I was like, I don't like Dodges. I like Vipers. I don't own any Hemi cars and things like that. Like I like Vipers. I'm not an SRT8 fanboy. Sorry. So that is kind of the, the denial that Corvettes were in. And this was all reported. And people started, you know, reporting they're going to the track, and the car was going into limp mode, and they're publishing, you know, publishing this on Corvette form. It's blowing up, and GM's like, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it." And I think they finally, and three years into production, they said, "Okay, there's something wrong with it." <laughs> I, it were, and they and they made the grill opening a little bigger, and put a higher capacity radiator, and made the 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 heat exchanger on the blower a little taller. They finally started admitting it instead of, you know, because they gave us that really canned excuse. I remember. Uh, well, unless you're uh, driving at over 80% of, of, of its limits and 80 degrees or hotter, like it, it will stay under temperature. And you're like, you know, how many track days have I been to like under 80 degrees outside? Yeah. Oh, not, not that many. I remember yeah. sweating a lot, even with the windows. And the, you know, so they were given these canned excuses and they finally addressed it. And that issue kind of went away. And then they finally got the money to develop the new ZR1. And they did that the right way. Like all the cooling, like it's got what, like nine coolers on it or something, something crazy. Like that, yeah. yeah. You know, it's crazy, yeah. but that's the car they should have built when they would have had the budget that they wanted. You know what I mean? So like to me, the ZR1 that they finished with is that that's the Z06 that it should have been. Wow. Dang. Yep. Well, we're seeing, an animal we're, we're, we're seeing GM kind of move into a different how do I put it? How, we've been They're talking about this again. Yeah, yeah. They're, pivot. They're, it's a pivot. Yeah, it's another right. another right. pivot. Um, while while the company is is doing well, they are starting to kind of uh, lean out a bit, I should say, and they're they're putting their money into development of um, electric vehicles, electric, um, and and. and because of that, a lot of people are being let go. Uh, factories are being closed. A lot of different models are being discontinued, like the Impala and the the Volts mm-hmm. and the the Cruise and um, right. some some Cadillacs and stuff like that. Do you think we're entering a new era in automobile technology? Or are we? Are we? Is, has, are people going to look back and say, you know what, Tesla? knew what what was what was going to come yeah i think now that the the battery production and those kind of things with the engineering around that kind of things and disposable like a lot of people are worried about the environmental and now that these companies have started coming up and how to handle those on the disposable it's it's hard to it's hard to dispute the the efficiency and the performance that an electric drivetrain can produce nowadays that's i mean tesla it's a rear wheel drive car and it just gets, it scoots it 10 does. seconds, <laughs> a four door car from the factory. That's dead silent. I know. It has no emissions. It's like, uh, it's like, that's technology. That's what's coming. That's, that's definitely what's going to be coming. And, you know, as we start to see more charging stations being, you know, installed by gas stations, you're starting to see that. Cause I remember even back in the 1980s, like diesel was kind of like taboo. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah, like, like if you bought a diesel, like I hope you don't go any road trips because there's not that many places to fill up a diesel unless right. you have a capacity of an eighteen wheeler. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're loud so. and they smelled bad, and 
Yeah. So you think about that, the the progression in Europe was like, oh, I was like, what are you guys talking about? We have diesel everywhere. It's like, that's what we do. Like everything's diesel over there. So it's like yeah. they were used to that already. And we started to adopt that. And then when electric cars came out, it's like, well, you know, you got to plug them in and, you know, these, there's no charging stations. There was like all these thousands of excuses of why not to buy one. Mm-hmm. And the people that listen to those excuses, like, well, let's fix that. Oh, there's not enough stations. Well, let's fix that. Yeah. Oh, we need a battery to last longer. Let's fix that. Like there's answers to every you know complaint, so we're going to start to see that. And you know, look at the ultra hybrid cars. You know, like the LaFerrari and the Porsche 918, and you know, the McLaren P1. Like all these million dollar you know super exotic cars, they all have some kind of electronic drivetrain aspect or or some kind of a enhancer on top of a gas engine. And those are all the ones that are performing is because they have that instantaneous torque whenever you just mash the pedal. And the crazy thing to me is like the McLarens are they're rear wheel drive cars and they have this awesome traction on like a 295 wide tire. You know, it's like it's just blistering fast, like, you know, nine high nine second car, like a 720S high nine second car rear wheel drive, which is like a normal size rear tire. Like I think it's maybe a 305 or something in the back. Wow, man. So for every person that said, let's fix that, there were thousands of people that said you can't do that it ain't gonna work forget about it don't even try your wasting your time and they said well they didn't even listen they just kept on charging ahead well, yeah that's what you gotta do yeah they're even i saw something that they're starting to make like electric full-size truck you know like like demo type vehicles and i can yeah. see that coming as well i mean a truck can handle a bigger battery <laughs> it can yeah well my 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 wife's brother-in-law my brother-in-law he worked for general motors there in detroit for 18 years and and got that that axe and uh they gave him a pet severance and all that but um he's looking at going to interview with the company i'm going to probably say this wrong rivian ravian it's uh an suv an electric suv in plymouth michigan really that amazon jeff bezos and amazon has just invested in a little bit Hmm. like we've been saying about this electric thing you either evolve into it or you will die at some point and a long enough timeline, you will. Mm-hmm. Well, even GM made the uh, the electric Copo Camaro. That's right. And look what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And and it's really weird to see a car do a burnout silently. Yeah, <laughs> running nine, <laughs> running nines with a squeak. Yeah. Done. <laughs> so so since we're talking about General Motors and making the business decision, and it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't a careless decision to to lay off all those auto workers and close those plants. That opens up a tremendous amount of opportunity for people. To say, okay, I have to reinvent my life now. I'm out of a job. I was just like my just like my brother-in-law. I was with General Motors for 18 years. I may have to reinvent myself. Tony, is this the time where somebody can look at look at this op- as an opportunity to find to start a side hustle with with a solid goal and to see where it goes? Maybe not necessarily to replace that job search, but as a backup plan. Is this is this a good opportunity? I think it's always a good time to be able to start a company. I don't think that there's, even in a downturn, there's upsides to starting a company. So I understand that a lot of people ask me, Tony, you know, what do you, what business should I start? And there's three, 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 three key things. That's a tongue twister on its own (laughs) that I like to, you know, really focus on people. So when I tell them like the best businesses are going to be something that you have a strong purpose for, you have a passion for that subject and an expertise in that subject, you'll usually find that the best companies are an intersection of those three things. And let me elaborate on each of those. The purpose would be 
something, a big thing, you know, like, why am I doing what I do? It could be your family. It could be a generational legacy that you're trying to improve. It could be like, you want to change the world. It could be just anything that has a strong purpose. Cause what you need a real strong purpose for is that whenever the times get tough and the things are getting challenging with any business, if you don't have a strong enough purpose, you're not going to quit. You're going to be like just like 95% of the people just quit. And you got to understand that money is not a purpose. A lot of times people think, I'm just going to start a bunny because I want to make some money. That's not a purpose. That's a real weak purpose. Money is a result. Money is a scorecard of doing things or creating value in this world. And when you focus purely on money, you're going to quit when things get tough because that's not a good enough purpose. So now we've talked about purpose. Let's talk about passion. Passion are things that you are genuinely interested in. You know, like if you're trying to sell something or a service or a product and you're not a a user of that and you don't believe in it, people are going to see right through you because we have a different level of energy when we promote things that we actually believe in. So understand that the passion is the best way I can describe it is when you go to the uh, bookstore and you see this giant magazine rack and there's 500 different magazines on that rack. There's only going to be one on that entire stand that's going to gravitate and pull you towards it. And you're going to pick it up. It's usually the magazine that you end up reading cover to cover before you even make it to the checkout lane. That tells you something like you have a little passion in that subject. Is there some business you can create within that subject? Is there some kind of way you can monetize some kind of a, any kind of business or just be involved in that industry? Because the passion is going to keep you interested where it's not going to feel like work. A lot of times you're going to jump out of bed you can be like, man, I can't wait to do this today. And that's how I feel about business. That's how I feel about cars. I can't wait to help people. I can't wait to create more marketing, challenge people to do better. That's the things I get a lot of passion out of. And then your expertise, of course, is one of the resources that you have available. What is the knowledge? What is the skills, the talents that you may already have or that you could easily learn because of the, the skills or knowledge you already have? What are these things? These, so you get these three and you create an intersection And then you start to look at your financial goals. What do you want to do? Do you want to just replace your salary? Do you want to go big? Like, I don't believe in setting limits. I see there's so many of these side hustle books out there. There's so many startup books. And that's really why I started mine is because I want to tell people that you got to get away from the employee mindset of trading your hours for dollars. That's a terrible business model. You cannot scale it. We only have 24 hours a day. And if you're trading your hours for dollars, you can only make X amount of dollars per day. And with this digital world and all these online companies, you need to start to establish that the entire world can be your audience. The entire world can be your customer base. Mm -hmm. I sell wheels all over this world. I don't worry about just in Houston, Texas. So I can scale that way. It's not based on my time. I wake up sometimes in the morning and I've made $10,000 in sales without even doing anything. So Mm -hmm. you don't need that's. This is the kind of power that the internet provides you. You got to think about being scalable that's going to get you a financial goal. So all these books that you can read out there talking about, hey, uh, make $200 extra a month. Or you know what? If you're a real go-getter, you can make an extra $2,000 a month. And then Woo! there's people buying these books and they're like, they're it's like, oh my gosh, what can I do? And then a lot of times you hear like, oh, go drive an Uber. Like to me, <laughs> love Uber di- drivers to death, but that's yeah. not entrepreneurship. You're representing some other brand. And unless you own the brand and can control the organizational charts and the organizational policies, you don't own a company. You're just representing somebody else. You might be a contractor or something else, but you don't own a brand. You're not an entrepreneur. So you're self-employed. There's a difference. Now understand that the goals, the financial goals are huge. Like my book, I try to release those limits. I mean, I, I challenge people to think big, like quit thinking about trading hours for dollars. If you build these things that can scale, you can make 40, 50, 60, $100,000 a month. I'm not talking about a year. 
So there's business out there. There's models out there. There's coaches that have done this. There's books you can read to learn the strategies. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? If you got this time off while you're looking for jobs, maybe you should be reading some books and, and learning some things and learning some new skills. Amen. And you released your book, which is called The Side Hustle Millionaire, easy to find on Amazon, and probably an appropriate time to talk about your main website, 365driven.com. I was one of the very first, as soon as that was available, I hit that button and I bought it and I got it and I, I read that cover to cover with, in one sitting. It's a spectacular book. It's an easy reading book. It doesn't fill you full of fluff. It no. doesn't fill you full of jargon that sounds like something like a, you know, be it, wish it, want it, do it type thing. It's just practical. And it's it's a great book. And I still I still pick it up once in a while and just leave through it and hit a chapter that I'm like, oh, this is one of my favorites. And I go through it again. It's such an easy read. Right now, I just checked. It's $13 on Amazon. And it's still just doing great. I think it's spectacular that you do what you do, Tony. In fact, that leads into what I was going to say. You know, the name Simon Sinek. He's the guy that said people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And it shows in your book they, you know, why you, why you're doing that. I mean, I think, I think when you released that book, it was on the affordable side, if I'm not mistaken, just to, yeah, we did it as a, that's as a strategy to boost it to number one. Yeah. So you, you weren't saying I got to make X dollars right now. You just said, I want to get this out, out here. I want to help people. And it, and it's just, and it's, it's come back to you and you've got, you've got a great stable of cars and you have a great business model. And if people want to reach out to you and, and, and to, to get that, that mentoring, is the best way just to go to 365driven.com and, and contact you at that point? Absolutely. They'll find links to all my social medias. I'm very active on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And, yeah, you find all the links. You'll find a link to the book on that same website. I try to keep it real simple, 365driven.com. Mm-hmm. Very easy. Very easy. Easy. I think it's really cool watching watching things expand all the way from back to the LS1 tech days and seeing how <laughs> things went. Oh, you and I yes. had had a few phone calls about the fifth gen Camaro and and remember those picture leaks and how some people oh, were God. using them when they weren't supposed to <laughs> and we played by the rules and we took them down and we didn't. <laughs> no, we did because I, I maybe I maybe I had the right or wrong kind of friends because they called me up and they said you need to take that down right now and I don't know if you got the same phone call and just pretended to not to answer it but. We did. We did. We got we had GM internal services calling and, and and asking where we got those. And I'll tell people where they got it now. It was from a disgruntled employee that they pissed off that had access to all the drawings. That's 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 how anything leaks, right? Well, just like you said, you started LS1 Tech because somebody pissed you off too. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Tony, I would love to sit and talk to you for hours yeah. uh, about, about things like this. And we should probably do this on a more regular basis. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, but I think we're probably approaching out of time. This is going to yep. one of our longer podcast episodes yet. But not great. that it's not worth every minute of it. Yeah, yeah, so, good stuff. Three so, Camaro guys. See, you just, yeah, three old school internet Camaro guys. There you go. We're the OG. Pre-so- pre-social Camaro guys. That's right. We're the OG. We're the OG of Camaro. <laughs> Right. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Love catching up with you. And uh, let's do it again sometime. All right, Chris, Jason, thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for being a part of it. All right, guys, we will be back next week with our regular. Okay, what, Jason? No, we're good to go. <laughs> Did you have something to add in? Um, oh, yeah, I wanted to plug my YouTube channel. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Just go to injasonsgarage.com. Ta da. Done. Done. Chris, hit the credits. All right, we'll see you guys next week. See Thanks for listening to The Camaro Show. Don't forget, drop us a voicemail at 586-486-3182. We'll see you next week. 
See ya. See ya.